Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, hey, we want to welcome everyone that is joining us from everywhere all across the valley. Want to say a special hello to everybody that is joining us at TCI. We're happy that you're a part of our family. Uh, Facebook Live, YouTube, Believers.cc, wherever you're watching from. I also want to say a special shout out to my friends and family at BC Boardman. I miss you this weekend. I'll be back next weekend. And then two weekends from now, I'm going to continue in this 41 series and preach right there in the room. And right here in Warren, I'm so honored to be here with our Warren family. Can we give it up for everybody that's watching from all over the valley? Let them know we're excited. They're joining us. This has been such a phenomenal series. Uh, I dare say this has probably been the most important series of messages that we've had in the last 10 years as a church. And so as you saw in the recap video, we're taking some time, two months when it's all said and done, to take a look at where we're headed in the 41st year as Believer's Church and well beyond that. And ultimately, what are the things that we're going to say we value the most? And how does that shape our everyday lives as not only people at Believer's Church, but as followers of Jesus? And um, I might be a little bit biased, but I just think we have some of the best teachers and communicators on the planet. And I have so loved the first three weeks, Pastor Joe, Pastor Gina, and Pastor Ryan. Can we give it up for all of them and just thank them at every campus for just how they fed us spiritually? You know, Pastor Ryan last week talked about one of the ways that we arrived at shaping some of these core values. And one of the ways we did it was through you. We literally had this big old whiteboard in an office and we listed your names from every campus. And we said, what is it that we love about them? Why do they embody who we are as a church? And we kind of like re-engineered it and reverse engineered it. And then we distilled it down into these new core values. And so we were talking behind your back in the best way possible. But then the second way that we arrived at some of these core values is through a whole lot of conversation. Me and some of the leaders here, we would gather around a table and over a lot of coffee, we would just talk about our passions. Like, what are we most passionate about? In some cases, I think you could call it a beautiful burden or a holy discontent. You know what I mean? Like when you'd look at the world and you say, man, I see this thing in our world, in our culture, and it's like, that shouldn't be the way that it is. I'm gonna do something about it. And so the message today that I'm preaching is really birthed out of that. And when I think back, really, God started showing me some of these things and speaking to me so strongly uh, in 2011. I remember that being the year. And have you ever had God speak to you in, in a way where you're like, man, no matter what I'm learning about, no matter where I'm reading in the scripture, no matter what the worship song is, it's like, that's the thing God's speaking to me. And I can't escape it. It was just so loud and so clear. It almost like burned on the inside of me in the most beautiful way. Well, that's what he started doing inside of my heart. And it was like, no matter what I preached, that's what came out. And no matter what conversation I was having, this would be the thing that, that came out. And so I'm really excited to share this with you today. And when we were divvying out who is gonna preach each of these core values, it took me like 0.3 seconds to say, I got this one, I'm on it. And so without any further ado, here's our core value that we're covering today. We have passion for where we're planted. We have passion for where we're planted. I wanna take you back to when I was like three, four, five years old. It's funny, I have these vivid memories of feeling called right here to this community. I can't explain it, but I just, I, we have video footage of it. Me as like a four-year-old kid and I've got a Bible that's like half the size of my body and, and an Easter suit on and I'm looking into the camera and I'm saying, I'm Pastor Joe. And if you were to ask me what I was gonna do with my life, I would have told you easy, I'm gonna be a singing preacher. 
And so I got it half right. I mean, you know, I did my best. I, I, you don't want the other part, but I, I knew from a very young age, I was called to be a preacher and to be a pastor. But more than that, I knew I was called to the valley. It's kind of crazy, but I just loved Warren. Like I grew up in Warren, it was my hometown. And like to this day, I just, it's my favorite place on earth. I can't help it. I don't even live in Warren anymore. I live in Canfield. I just love, it, it oozes through my veins. And listen, nobody's ever circled Warren on a map and said, let's go there. You know what I mean? Like nobody's ever been like, honey, cancel the trip to the Outer Banks. We're going to Warren, you know? Like Dave Grohl Alley, here we come. Hot dog shop. No, but why? It was like just this holy love and passion for the place that I was planted. And I feel that way about the whole valley. Actually, I had these memories when I was a kid. I would be in middle school or high school and well-meaning teachers would say things like, you better get out of here while you have the chance. If you don't leave now, you'll be stuck here forever, ever. You know, like, and I just remember as a young person, even something inside of me said, that doesn't sit right with me. That doesn't align with what I know to be true in scripture, what I know to be true of what God, God has called us to do as a church. And so here's what I want to do today. I just want to make a case for being planted. And um, you might be just pushing back in your mind thinking, well, Joe, I hate to break it to you, but Warren, Youngstown, it's called the Rust Belt for a reason, you know? Our best days are behind us. We had a heyday. It's not now. And listen, I just want to say this. I get it. I hear you. And that's fair. But if we're not careful, here's what I've seen happen in so many people's lives. I think if we adopt that mentality long enough, we start walking around and we're speaking death over the very place that God called us to speak life. I, I watch it happen in my own life. If I'm not careful, I start to curse what God has called me to. And so here's what I believe. I believe that God wants every person in this room to be planted and to have a passion where we're planted. And it made me think of this exchange, this conversation that Jesus had with two of his future followers. The first person that he comes in contact with is Philip. Remember, Philip meets Jesus, encounters him, and as a Jewish boy, he's heard of the Messiah. They prayed for him to come and save them their whole lives. It's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. Can you imagine finally coming face to face with the savior of the world? And in that moment, it clicks, you know, this is the Messiah. So Philip meets Jesus and can you imagine, he sprints as fast as he can to tell Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's on board with it at first. He's like, wow, this sounds incredible. But then he asks him a question. He says, now, where is this Jesus from? And Philip says, you'll never believe it. He's been hidden in plain sight. He's from Nazareth. Now, time out. That doesn't sound like anything to us. But in those days, if you called someone a Nazarene, it was almost like a put down because Nazareth was less than 500 people. It would have been like saying, that's a hillbilly. They're from the sticks. Nothing important comes from Nazareth. So you're telling me that the savior of the world is from there? And I love what Philip says as a response. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says, hey, just come and see. And here we see two ways that we can see our city. Two ways that we can look at the world around us. We can be a bunch of negative Nathans and we could look at the world around us and we could point out the obvious and point out the problems and see the glass as half empty. We certainly could. I'm sure many of us have. I'm sure many of us know some people that do, but here's our prayer at Believer's Church. I just pray we would be a church at every campus full of Phillips, full of passion for where God has called us to plant. 
people that say, hey, God specializes in doing big things in small places. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Actually, he gets more glory that way. And I believe that Believer's Church is called to be a growing church in a shrinking community. And there is something amazing that God has yet to do through all of you amazing people. And so we're gonna just take some time today. And like I said, I just want two things to be accomplished. They happen to be the two points of my message. God plants people in places. So I wanna help you. I wanna help you to find a place to plant. And then second, I wanna help you to have a passion where you're planting. Let me say this. It is really hard to be salt and light in a city that you do not love. It is really hard to bring salvation to a city when you don't see that city as significant and valuable. And so today, here's my challenge. I pray that I would help you to see our city, see our valley from God's perspective. And we're gonna jump right in. I want you to know it killed me just a little not to have three points. I only have two points today, but we're gonna really dig in deep to these two points. Here's point number one. God plants people in places. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, write that down. (laughs) Pastor joke, nailed it. My kids rolled their eyes somewhere at Boardman. Here's here's where I wanna start. This is Genesis chapter two, verse eight. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. I wanna just draw a couple of observations out of this passage first. I think it's interesting. We sang here at Warren today about the different names of God, the different titles that he goes by. He goes by so many different names, so many different titles, but one that is the most fascinating to me, you see him called this over and over again in the Bible, gardener. God is a gardener. This is interesting to me. And it's fascinating. Let's read this one more time. Genesis 2.8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. Time out. I want you to think about this. You read through the creation account. Every time God created something, how did he do it? He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be a sun and a moon and stars, and there was a sun and a moon and stars. So it's interesting, in this moment, that's not how God chooses to create the garden. It says he planted the garden, and if you look in the original Hebrew, you know what it literally means? He planted it. He established it. And so this is showing us an aspect of God's nature and his character, who he is, because gardening is very intentional. Um, it's, it's something where the gardener is intricately familiar with what he is planting and where he places it. I have a friend that's a part of our connect group at BC Boardman. Uh, it's a group, some of the guys from Warren drive up there to Stone Fruit Coffee every Wednesday morning. And um, his name is Zach. Zach and Maria actually were a part of BC Warren for years until they moved a little bit closer up that way. And they have an incredible home garden. I'm gonna show you some pictures. It, it's amazing. My, uh, my spiritual gift is killing tomatoes. That's about as much as I can do. No matter how hard I try, I just kill them. And, but they have like this gift, as you can see, for growing some amazing gardens and crops. And one of the things that he was telling me as he was describing how they make their garden thrive the way they do, he said, it's, it's a really hands-on thing. Like he said, as a matter of fact, we come out to our garden almost daily. And he said, did you know you can like guide the fruit and the vegetables in the direction you want them to grow? He said, so we'll go out and we'll assess and we'll look for where the growth is and we'll see the fruits or the vegetables and I'll take my hand and I'll literally train it to go in the direction I want it to go, to grow upward. And and he said, after a little while, it starts to stay that way. And he said, it's a very hands-on thing. And I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, man, if that's not a picture of God 
in our life. I don't know what is. Because God, by the gentle hand of the Holy Spirit, comes into our life and he says, hey, I'm gonna make this little adjustment here. This is growing in that direction. I need it to grow in this direction. And he starts to train us almost like a trellis with the truth in his word and guide the growth spiritually in our life so that we can become everything that we're called to become. It's a very hands-on thing. I was thinking about this in some of our lives, out of God's great love for us, he gets out the pruning shears. And uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse one, along these lines, he said, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I can't tell you how many times I've just been minding my own business, reading the Bible, hanging out in worship like we did today at every campus, just hanging out in God's presence, and God starts to prune away some things in my life while I'm in his presence. Usually it looks something like this. Hey, Joe, I'm really proud of you for all the good things you're doing in your life, but your priorities are a little bit off. And so I'm gonna just come in here and I'm just gonna kind of snip away some of the things that don't belong. And like, these are good things, but they're not God things. And so they're competing with my agenda and my purpose for your life. And he's way better at it than I am because it looks like I just broke it. But uh, hello, <laughs> it's snagged, but you get the picture. He'll come into our life and he'll say, hey, you know that, that movie that you watched or that show that you're streaming? I know you really enjoy it, but it's not pleasing to me. It's not honoring to me. And so I'm gonna ask you to cut that out of your life. That artist that you love, the lyrics in that song, they are not causing growth and love for Jesus. And so I'm gonna cut that out of your life. It could be the biggest thing or the smallest thing. And here's what I wanna point out. Sometimes what looks like a setback or looks like a cutback is actually the very thing that God uses to move us forward in our relationship with him. And what does it say in the verse? It says, he prunes the things that are actually growing and fruitful. And so the reward for your fruitfulness is pruning so that what? So you can become even more fruitful. And so God's a gardener. And I just wanna point this out. He's got a green thumb. And the thing that he is growing is you and it's me. Amen. And so when we're planted in soil, if we can see the greater picture, it starts to all come together really well. About a year ago, we had a pastor come here. He's one of my friends. His name is Daniel Grothy. Y'all remember him? He preached a book uh, that he wrote called The Power of Place. And phenomenal book. If you ever want to read a book on this subject, it's one of the best I've ever read. One of the things that he points out, he uses this example. He says, when you look at God's people, saints are always from somewhere. Like, think about this, St. Francis of Assisi, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Joe of B.C. Boardman, <laughs> Stephanie of B.C. Warren, Jesus of Nazareth. Saints are always from somewhere. I'll, I'll prove it to you. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he, God, has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. That's interesting. So in other words, we think we live where we do because we got the deal on the house that we did or because we like the school district or we liked the neighborhood. No, no, no. You live where you live because God appointed you to live in Canfield, Ohio, in Champion, Ohio, in Warren, in Boardman, in Struthers, you name it. God called you and planted you and placed you where you are for this time 
in history. So you need to know this. I'm not just called to something, I'm called to somewhere. I'm not just Pastor Joe, Preacher Joe. I'm called to pastor people in Northeastern Ohio and Western Pennsylvania. It's what I'm gonna give the rest of my life to because I'm called to somewhere, not just to something. You're not just called to write code or to be a nurse or to be a teacher or to be a mom or to be an attorney just because you're called to do it. You're called to do it right where you are, in your neighborhood, at your school, in that hospital, in that law firm, at that practice. God plants people in places. And so I want you to get the connection here that you were planted for a purpose. I'll give you another scripture, and I think this is one of my favorites in all of the Bible. And it's just talking about the power of planting. We just celebrated 40 years as a church, and really what we were doing is we were celebrating this really cool thing that can happen when enough people decide, I'm gonna plant somewhere for long enough. Just long obedience in the same direction. This is what Psalm 92, 12 says. It says, the righteous will flourish like the date palm, I love this, long-lived, upright, useful. Can I get an amen? That, let that be said of us. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, majestic and stable. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, you look majestic today. Just say it with a little conviction at every campus. You look majestic today. You know, the longer that I follow Jesus, I'm a little bit less impressed with people that write really great best-selling books I'm a little less impressed with the people that have really great worship albums and go on conference. I do love some of the people that do that and I am inspired by some of them. But you know what I'm really blown away by? What I'm really inspired by? Just planted people. I call them steady eddies. They're just the people that do what God taught them to do. They just live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness, thankful for what God has done, growing roots in one place over a lifetime, creating fruit that blesses the people around them. And can I just say this to all the young people at every campus? I don't know if anybody's told you this yet, but cool comes with an expiration date. All the adults said, amen, you know? I used to think I was cool and then I had kids and then my kids turned into teenagers and they assure me I'm not cool anymore. And so uh, enjoy it while it lasts. But can I tell you something? One thing that never goes out of style, being a planted follower of Jesus. It doesn't come with an expiration date. Listen to what verse 13 says, planted in the house of the Lord. I know I'm looking at people at every campus within Believer's Church that are planted in the house. One translation actually says transplanted, like painting this picture that you were uprooted from the way the world thought and uprooted from the soil of the world and you were transplanted into the soil of the garden of God. This is what God does. And here's, here's the result. They will flourish in the courts of our God growing in grace. They will still thrive and bear fruit and prosper in old age. Can I get an amen from all the seasoned saints all over the valley? Yeah, we can give it up for that. They will flourish and be vital and fresh, rich in trust and love and contentment. I think that's so interesting that God plants people in places. And I love that it uses the word contentment because it's almost like the more I can just recognize that I was made for the soil, I was made to be planted in God's house. There's this innate contentment that comes along for the ride. I don't have to pursue anything that this world can give me. It just produces contentment and thankfulness in my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, for just a moment, I wanna say something and at the risk of it feeling redundant, I just wanna point this out. We have an amazing church and we have people that are represented from every stage of their walk with Jesus. 
And so I'm looking at a whole lot of people that have been planted for years, and this is probably not gonna be for you, but I know there are a whole lot of people that this might just be news to them, and so I wanna make this statement. Did you know that God even calls us as Christians to be planted in specific churches, specific congregations? Think about this, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the epistles, the letters to the churches, at the beginning of every one of the letters, what did it say? To the church at Corinth, to the church at Philippi, to the church at Thessalonica, that was a rough one to spell, to the church of Rome. He's writing to specific people who have been planted in specific local congregations of God. About a month ago, I was driving down the road here on 82. It's coming to BC Warren. And I drove by this car. And you know how you can have like a window cling on the back of your car for like local churches? And uh, it was funny because this one didn't have one window cling. It had two local churches right beside each other. And so I'm a pastor. So the pesky part of me is like, hold on, I got questions, you know? And like, I wanted to believe the best of them. And I thought, I thought like, wh why would they have two church window clings? Maybe they have like kids that serve at both churches and they're just proud of their babies. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I thought maybe it could be like an old girlfriend tattoo situation, you know, like where they couldn't get the old window cling off. And they're like, I guess we got two window clings now. I don't know what the reason was, but it just got me to thinking, I get into so many conversations with people who love Jesus, they're going to heaven, none of that's in question, but they'll just make a statement like, what would be wrong with going to two churches? Isn't that double Jesus, double worship? What if, Joe, I really like the worship at this one church and I really like the teaching at this church? I love the kids' programs and events at this church. Would there be anything wrong with going to all of those different places? And I think it's actually a really great question. And instead of giving you my opinion, let me just take you to the word of God. I think this will be helpful. So this is 1 Peter 5, verse two. Here's what Peter says. And by the way, he's talking to some of the earliest pastors in the church. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. That's interesting wording in and of itself. It, it implies that God has specific sheep in the flock that he entrusts to specific pastors but then watch what he says to the pastors. He says, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Can you imagine how much better of a place the church would be if pastors could just do those few things, right? Can I get an amen? That's just the truth. But watch what it ends saying here in verse three. Don't, pastors, he's talking to pastors, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And so here we see God's plan for planting people in local church congregations. And I just wanna make a really obvious point. It's really hard to be planted in two places at the same time. Like, let me just reason with you. I think this is helpful. What if we had a really strong, solid plant and we put it in some really healthy, beautiful, gorgeous soil? But then about a week or two later, we came and we ripped it up out of that soil and then we walked it over to this other amazing soil. It was just as good, really beautiful, great soil. And we placed it there and planted it there. And then it was there for a couple of weeks. And then we uprooted it and we came over here to like a third spot and we planted it there. Let me ask you something. As amazing as the soil was and as amazing as the plant was, eventually what would happen? Not only would it stop producing fruit, but eventually it would wither and it would die. Let me ask you this, what if you planted a really good tree in really good soil, but then you uprooted it and then you didn't plant it for a couple of months because it was kind of inconvenient to get into the soil and your schedule was crowding out other things and making it really hard to get to the soil and 
the other plants in your house had baseball and basketball and dance, and it was just really hard to get back to the soil. Eventually, even if you came back, like what would happen? Like before you know it, you can have a really good tree and really good soil and all this potential, but it just becomes this withered, sad plant. And I brought this here because I just wanted to show people, I think this is a picture spiritually of so many Christians. And listen, I want you to hear this. They love Jesus. They're going to heaven. That's not in question. I just think they're missing out on what they were made for. And maybe the reason so many of us haven't experienced the best that God has to offer is because we haven't reaped the rewards of living a rooted life. We haven't been rooted long enough to produce any fruit worth seeing or showing to the rest of the world. And here's the reality. Wandering leads to withering. And so really God's plan for us as a church and as people who follow Jesus is to find a garden somewhere and just get planted there. And can I just say this? There are so many great gardens around. So many amazing gardeners in town. If BC is not your style of a garden, I'll give you 10 other ones and I probably know the pastors and I'll let them know you're coming. It's not about BC being the garden. It's just about you finding someone somewhere where you can put your roots down and produce some fruit. Planted people have to find a place. And uh, listen, for, for some of you, this is just gonna be an encouragement. This is Colossians 2.6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built up on him and watch what happens as a result. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So what would it look like just practically if I just decided, hey, I'm just gonna plant somewhere. Maybe it would just look like you finally go through the growth track class. And listen, I get it. If you've been, you know, church hopping or you've been in a number of churches over the years, it's easy to get jaded and say, I've been through growth track and life track and discovery and starting point. They all have a different name, but they're all the same class. Listen, I just don't get jaded because it's not about the class. It's about the roots. And it's really just giving God something to work with. Just saying, God, I just, I'm thankful that I have some soil right here. I'm gonna plant down and watch what you can do when I give you something to work with. God plants people in places and our greatest fruit comes from our deepest roots. Here's the second and final point today, you ready? If you're gonna be planted, point number two, have a passion where you're planted. If I'm gonna be planted, I might as well have a passion wherever I choose to plant. You know, I watch the enemy work in people's lives and as a pastor, you just see these patterns in people's lives. One of the things I've observed I really believe this about Believer's Church. I think like 95% of us are living planted lives. And so here's what we actually have to fight with. It's not the decision of whether or not to plant. We have to decide if we're gonna have a passion. And so I think the enemy, the way he works in our life is he says, hey, if I can't get them to stop planting, I'll just try to steal their passion while they are planted. If I can't convince them to stop being married, I'll just steal the passion and joy of marriage. If I can't get them to stop serving in their local church, I'll just try to rob every bit of the joy and passion of serving other people. If I can't get them to stop giving, I'll just steal the joy of generosity. And I'm telling you, if God could help us to see this from his perspective, we would have so much more joy in the process. I'm just uh, kind of inspired by this phrase. Some of you have probably seen these bumper stickers around, but there's a production company called Stuck in Ohio and for the longest time, I didn't really understand what they were saying and I didn't love the sentiment, but here's the full vision statement. They say, stuck in Ohio and loving it. 
I kind of like that. Whoever runs Stuck in Ohio, can you add that to the bumper sticker? I would really appreciate that. But Stuck in Ohio and loving it, what are they saying? Hey, if you're going to be planted, might as well have a passion where you're planted. Now, each week as we're going through these core values, one of the things that we're doing is we're just showing you practically how we can flesh this out in our everyday life. Like if I do have a passion where I'm planted, in Boardman, in Warren, wherever I am, what does that look like in my everyday life? How does that affect Monday? So I'm just gonna make some statements and maybe not all of these will resonate with you, but I bet one will. And I'm gonna challenge you, write that in your notes app or put that in your notebook and dwell on that and pray on that this week. You ready? Here's the first one. Passionate people are problem solvers. I take initiative to create solutions instead of criticizing problems. I'm sure you figured this out by now, but Believer's Church is not a perfect church. I probably offended you like three or four times in this message alone. You know, like it's not if, but when. You've got a place full of imperfect people. We're gonna let you down. We're gonna do something that rubs you the wrong way. And you know what I've noticed? Sometimes as a church member, the longer you're at somewhere, it's like the closer you are to it, the more you can see its imperfections. And it's really easy to say, I can't believe we don't have that ministry or we don't do things this way. And I have a great example of this. About a month ago, we had a legacy panel. That's what we called it in this series called 40. Remember, we had these amazing people that have been serving at BC for decades. One of them is Faith. Faith was up here leading worship in Warren today. Can we just give it up for Faith at every campus? Just one of the best people in the world. Talk about being planted. And do you remember Faith? She was talking about when she had to have a surgery and how the people of BC just supported her in every way. Like she didn't ask for it. They would make her meals. They would love on her and her family, support her. And it brought tears to her eyes. And so at our campus, there's a great couple named Wally and Nikki. And at Boardman, I want you guys to give it up for Wally and Nikki Kukla. And we could do it here too, why not? They're pretty awesome. Now they're listening to this and here's what they could have done. They could have said, man, I can't believe we don't have a ministry to take care of people when they're sick or why don't we make meals for people? And you know what they didn't do? They didn't do that. They said, you know what? Passionate people are problem solvers. What if we start the ministry? What if God's showing us the gap so that we can fill the gap? And so they come up with this whole plan and now they come to me and they say, hey, pray about this. We're not saying like, thus saith the Lord, but we would just love to, have a ministry called a meal train ministry and we'll make it happen. We'll organize it. We'll recruit people. And it's amazing. So now a month and a half later, BC Boardman has a meal train ministry. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that someone hears that at BC Warren and BC Traditional and they say, man, I could do that here. And we'll make a big church small by caring for people one person at a time. Passionate people are problem solvers. Passionate people, I like this. They say, your problem is my problem. We say this to our staff all the time. If you walk by a piece of trash on the ground, that's not the maintenance team's problem. That's my problem. Because your problem is my problem, right? And regardless of where I am on the org chart or what title's in front of my name, my first title at Believer's Church is servant. And so if I see something that someone else needs, then I just, I become the person that fills that need. Passionate people are problem solvers. I'm thinking of a guy that I get to see every week. His name is Mike Pavlik. Can you guys give it up one more time for Mike Pavlik at every campus? Mike serves on the host team, very busy guy, beats me to church among many other people every week. And when I pull into the parking lot, Mike always has a leaf blower in his hands and he's blowing leaves out from underneath the canopy. And he's cleaning a lot of other stuff. We've got like a wildlife preserve out there. So there's turkey poop, you name it, it's out there. And guess what? I never once had to ask Mike to do it. He just has a passion for where he's planted. 
Planted people never say this. They never see, not my problem. They say, not on my watch. If I see that problem, then I'm gonna become the solution to the problem. How about this? Passionate people say they are willing to endure pain for a greater purpose. Passionate people are willing to endure pain for a greater purpose. Think about Jesus. One of the most beautiful movies and heart-wrenching movies you will ever watch is The Passion of the Christ. You know what passion literally means? It means suffering. It comes from the Latin word passio. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus endure a whole lot of pain, like Pastor Ryan said last week, for the joy set before him. And so you're able to endure pain when you see it in a greater light for a greater purpose. Like it was for the A set before her that she endured the studying. It was for the beautiful marriage set before them that they endured the counseling, right? It was for getting out of debt and the pain of saying no and not swiping that they endured the budget in Financial Peace University, right? It's just saying, hey, I have a passion that supersedes my comfort and I'm willing to even go through some pain because I'm passionate about that thing. We're almost done here. I recognize the unique thing God is doing here and I refuse to focus on what is far away and miss out on the miracle that is right in front of me. I think this can happen with all kinds of people at any age, but I especially think it can attack young people. I spend a lot of time talking to young people and do summer camps all over the place. And I have young people in my house and there is this obsession and almost like this fascination with there. If I could just get there to that sexy, amazing city, then something cool would happen in my life. I call it destination disease. But have you ever heard this phrase, wherever you go, there you are? And so I see a lot of people chase the place and they end up somewhere outside of God's will because they're chasing the next experience or, or the beautiful place in the distance. And here's the reality. Everything looks better from further away. Here's what I heard God say as I was writing this message. I heard him say this. Instead of chasing the place, what if we chase God's grace? And we ask God, where is the grace that you put on my life? Because it would be better to live in Warren, Ohio with your grace, Boardman, Ohio with your grace than it would be to live in Hawaii or Paris without it. Can anybody else say amen at every campus that we're thankful that God plants people in places? Something beautiful about that. This scripture might be worth the price of admission. This is something you ought to like print out, put it on your mirror, put it on wallpaper on your phone. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. I think this encapsulates everything we're talking about today. Listen to this. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right here. Passionate people speak life. They speak life. Remember, we don't wanna be a church full of negative nations. We wanna be like Philip speak life over the area we're called to. I wanna show you a picture. This is like a social and scientific experiment that a school did with students. They had two identical plants and they said, hey, for 30 days, we want you every time you walk by this one plant to bully it. They were trying to show them the adverse effects of bullying. They said, so speak nasty things. Anything you can think of that puts that plant down, say it to that plant. I'd be interested to hear what they said. I'm sure it was entertaining to say the least. And so every time they walked by for 30 days, said nasty things. Then right over on the other side, they said, I want you to praise this plant. Uplift this plant with your words. Probably felt very silly. But the craziest thing happens at the end of the 30 days. Can I show you a picture of what the end result is? Take a look at this. 
Bible says there's life and there's death in the power of our tongue. And so what would happen if instead of cursing what God's called us to, we started to just speak life over our city? What if you started to speak life over your job? What if we just woke up in the morning, we said, God, it's not my favorite place in the world to go work, but I'm thankful I have a job. My boss isn't the most amazing person to work for, but I'm not working for my boss anyways. I'm working as under the Lord. You're my CEO today. So would you bless me and give me favor with my job and help me to make them, make them thankful that I'm a part of their team today? Can you imagine how quickly promotion would come if you saw life that way? And you know what would inevitably happen? They would say, what's so different about them? Everybody else is so negative. They have a come and see attitude. I, I wanna see this Jesus that they're talking about. I wanna end by reading something really cool. This is from Pastor Joe. And um, he serves, uh, he sits on the Youngstown Warren Chamber of Commerce Board. I think he's the first pastor to be able to do this, which is really cool, it's an honor. And so just this past Thursday, I'm gonna read this so I get it right. He was at the 2024 Economic Forecast Breakfast. And so Guy Caviello, who is the president of the chamber, uh, gave him this incredibly positive economic forecast for our valley in 2024. So for anybody that's you know, grown up here, I know that we've taken a lot of licks over the years. Can I just give you some good news and some food for thought? This will feed your positivity as you speak life. Listen to this. The Valley has had a lot of bad news and bad ratings nationally over the past several decades, but thankfully all of that is changing. US News and World Report released that we are the number two site in Ohio for low crime, healthcare, air quality, and housing affordability. In a national survey concerning millennials, we have the largest number of millennials that are making a decision to stay put than anywhere else, not in the valley or in the city or in Ohio, in the country. And our millennial homeownership is the 13th fastest growing in the nation. Last thing I'll read, this is really cool. In the Mahoning Valley, we have, just on the Ohio Means job website, 1,758 job openings in Trumbull County, 3,087 job openings in Mahoning County, 703 in Columbiana County for a total of 5,548 job openings in the Valley. And wait for it, wait for it. This is how he wrote it. Just over half of those job openings pay starting at $25 per hour. They also said, if I told you what else is coming to the Valley, we'd have to kill you. But there are some incredible things that are not even aware, the public is not even aware of them all good things coming to the valley. I think we ought to just practice praising God for what we can see that's good right in front of us. Can we give it up at every campus for God doing something good? And listen, that's not why we serve God. We're called to be planted even in deserts. We watch streams spring up in the desert. That's part of being a Christ follower. But my dad for years has prayed, God, I pray that we would have more jobs in our city than we have people to work in them. And so we're seeing that prayer come true and I think we're just getting started. We're coming to a close here. And, um, you know, one of my favorite pastors, he said something that I thought, man, that's just so beautiful. He said, we have going away parties and launch parties. But he said, what if we started having some staying parties? Because there's a power in staying. It's a staying power. When you get a whole lot of people that are faithfully planted for a long time that say, hey, I'm gonna just put down some roots in the soil right where God's called me. I'm not going to wish I was somewhere else with someone else. I'm going to acknowledge that God plants people in places, and I'm going to allow him now to use me to bring life to the place he's planted me. I'm telling you, we could see a difference in our valley 
that nobody ever saw coming. I'm going to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. This is my prayer. As we draw to a close, I can just see the Holy Spirit working throughout this room and I can see it online. And Boardman, TCI. Listen, TCI, you can, you can prosper right where you're planted. I'm telling you, think about what God could do in and through you as, as just somebody that's a part of that, that facility and just being life-giving. How would you stand out if you just had the love of Jesus in your cell block? You just had the love of Jesus and it spread beyond your gathering every week and it got into the lunchroom and it got into the yard and you just started showing people Jesus in a way that they, it made them hungry for more of what you have. I'm telling you, there are some people here and you're young and you've been making plans to leave the city and today God's gonna drop it in your heart that you're called here. And you're the future leaders of Fortune 500 companies. There's future books on the inside of you. There's songs, there's albums. There's ideas that nobody's thought of yet. And God's gonna put his hand on you for a new generation to see the goodness of God. Some of you have been planted for a really long time and God's saying, just keep going. Don't grow weary in doing good because at just the right time, you'll reap a reward if you don't give up. That's called cross-pollination, by the way, when you're planted in the same soil as something else. And we take what God has done in our life through the cross and we pollinate other people with his goodness and his grace. So today I'm just gonna invite you to take a step at every campus. God's probably already revealed the step to you. For some of you, it's as simple as I'm gonna be baptized. I got one chance left to do it in November. I'm gonna do it before the year's up. I'm gonna go through growth track. I've been through 16 of those other classes at 16 other churches, but I'm going through growth track, Joe, and I'm gonna be excited about it. For some of us, it's just changing the way we talk about people and talk about our surroundings. I'm gonna cut all the negative Nathan talk out and I'm just gonna be a fill up today. And I'm just gonna find something good about where I am planted. I wanna end with this at every campus. I just wanna invite you, if you can't remember a moment in your life where you made Jesus the Lord of your life. We live in a culture where Christianity is cultural. And so in many cases, it's just a faith that's handed to us from our parents. It's not personal. And so if you can't remember a moment in your life where you made it personal with Jesus, I like to say where you allowed him to sit in the driver's seat. You said, Jesus, you're calling the shots in my life. If you can't remember a moment in your life like that, I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. It's the beginning of a beautiful relationship with God where you can be planted in the garden of God and he can begin to grow you and mature you. Church, can you help us pray this at every campus? Say this with me, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for me, for giving me his life when I was so undeserving. And I repent. I'm sorry for any sin that has separated me from you. And I commit to follow you, everything I've got. And I won't be perfect, but every day I'll take a step. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. 
And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.